0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, as we come to the end of uh, a liturgical year, we're two weeks out from Advent. uh, The lectionary and our prayers cause us to reflect and focus on the end times, end things, judgment day. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it too in light of like the geopolitical stuff going on in the world and I'm watching people talk about like now we're in the end times and people once again, those old regurgitated books just start coming out and what happens is is that people get a little more scared and other people get a little more rich. And uh, so I'm hoping to kind of clear that up for you and give you something to hang on to as we live in these last days. So, but this is St. Paul's big idea in our epistle reading to, this morning. <clears throat> Jesus had said he would return soon. This is what he told his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And many in the early church assumed that that would be within their lifetime. I love how St. Peter writes, responding to people kind of Wednesday coming back. He says, do not consider the Lord slow, as some count slowness, but he's patient Boy, he is patient. Here we are today. But Jesus said he would return soon. And Jesus had promised them eternal life. And then people started to die. And the church began to experience persecution. And some folks began to make predictions about what Jesus was doing. When is he coming back? And in an out-of-control situation, even false, we'll cling to false news, false narratives for a sense of control. And when it comes to the last days, when it comes to the end, St. Paul, he's trying to clear up the false teaching that is hitting Thessalonica. And so he uses two very powerful analogies to rebuff these false teachers, and this false teaching that was floating around that maybe Jesus wasn't coming back. Maybe he literally did take off to a celestial Acapulco. But he says, first, the last day will come as a thief in the night, a.k.a. suddenly without warning. If you're not prepared for it, it's going to be shocking. And this really bugs me because I have been robbed, and if you've ever been robbed, Mel and I were robbed right after our honeymoon. But it's terrible because it's this awful feeling, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. The second analogy is completely counterintuitive. St. Paul describes the coming of the end as a pregnant woman going into labor pains, and there will be no escape. I remember right before my oldest daughter, Sophia, was born, I totally freaked out. I had a real panicked attack. and The doctor came in, and he was like, Okay, Dad, it's time. Are you ready? And I said, No, I have to go to the bathroom. And, <laughs> and I mean, just since we're confessing, I like almost thought about running away. But anyway, but he, goes, he looks at me, and he was like, Well, you better hurry up, because there's no escape, and this little girl is coming. Now here's why labor pains are such a counterintuitive illustration when we think about the end and when we think about the last day. We often think about something final. That's it. Indeed, when Sophia came into the world, that was the end of my life in one sense. But it gave way to a whole new experience as a father of a daughter. The end, as Christians, as we pray in our funeral liturgy, is not simply the end. But instead, life is transformed. The point is, is it's the beginning of a new and wonderful life. And this is my first point. Ask any mother. Labor pains are terrible, and they feel out of control. But they're worth it because it always leads to the joy of something brand new and this applies to the end of the age. The last days for Christians is not about the end, it's about new beginning, new life, which in turn becomes a powerful way to understand the many last days in your life, the many ends in your life, the end of a career, the end of a relationship. The end, whatever you may face. The difficulty and the pain that we so often go through is often the fruits and the work that God does in us as he births something new in your life. St. Paul also goes on to describe us as the children of the day. Now, this is important Because we are actually in the last days now. As a matter of fact, the last days were ushered in the moment Jesus ascended into heaven. So we have been in the last days for a little over 2,000, coming up on 2,000 years. The resurrection from the dead, Jesus' resurrection and ascension, that was the dawn, though, at the same time of a new creation. That's the beginning of the new creation, which as St. Paul says is beginning to break into the world. And as the church, as embassies of this new creation, we herald that it has come and it's coming. Yet, if you're like me, as a total control freak, I look around and I say, gosh, new creation? All I see is old. All I see is frustration. What do you mean new creation, Jake? In the midst of decay, destruction, in the midst of death, what do you mean new creation, Paul? Looks to me like we're in the middle of the old. It looks to me like we're in the middle of the night. Not the start of a new day. And this is what the Thessalonians were very concerned about. And this is one of the things they were pushing up against St. Paul about. Paul, it doesn't look new to me. Let me explain. If I don't walk my dog before we go to bed, he will need to walk super early in the morning. The other day, it was about 5 a.m. And by all accounts, as I stepped outside of our apartment, it looked dark outside. It was still night outside by all accounts. However, at 5 a.m., it is morning. And this is what St. Paul is teaching here. This is how he's helping us understand what's going on. The world's night is ending. And it is giving way to the dawning light that has already appeared on that first Easter morning. That first day when the tomb was burst forth, the new creation when in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus defeated death once and for all. And this is my second point. While there is so much in our lives, so much in our lives and in our world that seems to be still sitting in the night, dead asleep, seems like so much is still destined for God's judgment and wrath. St. Paul boldly proclaims a gospel promise to the Thessalonians and to all of us. It's a powerful promise. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. I love how unconditional the grace is in this text. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Because if we're honest, there are some parts of our lives where we're totally awake, and there are other parts of our lives that we're totally asleep. We're simultaneously justified in sinners at the same time as this new creation is breaking forth into the world, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Now, just in case you thought I was avoiding the gospel, I'm not. (laughs) This line from St. Paul becomes the lens by which we interpret this rather interesting parable, where upon first glance, Jesus appears to be endorsing cutthroat capitalism. Now, we must read this text closely with what St. Paul has just said, that he's not destined you for wrath, but life everlasting. That must be the lens by which we read this text. Now you need to follow it closely with me because you see, parables were told by Jesus to hide God from the wise who trusted in their own strength. Parables were told By Jesus in order to reveal God in all of his glory to those of us who are weak. Jesus says, the man, the man entrusts three slaves with his property. See, this parable, especially if you had overbearing parents, can be very overwhelming. You know, where you had people take things away from you and you thought everything was yours? You earned it. This parable can terrify you. If you don't catch this first word, a man entrusts three slaves with whose property? His property, in the form of talents. Now this isn't about singing or dancing or riding a unicycle, juggling, you know, know, chainsaws. (laughs) What this is about is about money. And the talent in Jesus' day was a large sum of money, about three and a half years' worth of a wage. Notice in this text how good the master is. Because he gives each of them, notice what Jesus says, according to their ability. Or in other words, what they could manage. No more, no less. But even the less, I mean, when you think about it, this is a huge sum of money. Three and a half years of a salary. Well, two of them, they invest their master's talent. Not theirs. They invest their master's talent and bring in more. And the third, he buried his master's talent and nothing came of it. And after a long time, Here we are, the last days. After a long time, the master returns to settle accounts. And the two who turn to profit, well done. While the third is condemned to outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. I always chuckle when they say the gospel of the Lord at that end, because that is not the gospel of the Lord. (laughs) But on the surface, as I've said, this parable can hit hard on your ears especially if you've ever had something taken from you. If you've ever felt that life wasn't fair. The one who made much, received much, and even got the talent from the third servant. And this passage is often misinterpreted. It's being preached right now all over the place. You better do all that you can do for God or else don't squander what he gave you. He's going to take it away. Terrible news. That is not the gospel in the least bit. What the parable is actually getting at is your perception is powerful. Your perception of God is powerful. David Brooks makes this point in his new book, How to Know a Person. And Brooks writes, the rational brain is incapable of talking the emotional body out of its own reality. So the body has to experience a different reality firsthand. Brooks goes on to quote the neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett. He says, he quotes her, and he writes, You may think that in everyday life, the things you see and hear influence what you feel, but it is mostly the other way around. What you feel alters your sight and hearing. People who are scared take in a scene differently. A feeling of anxiety only narrows our peripheral vision, where love and happiness widen our peripheral vision. That's what Jesus is getting at. In light of the legalism of the Pharisees, how you think about God actually matters. Read closely. I mean, this master, a.k.a. God, who randomly gives slaves three and a half years of salary with no measurement, I mean, I don't even do that, and I'm like the enjoy your forgiveness guy. It is like, you know, this is This is crazy. No measurement, but he gives to each of them according to how they can handle. Listen, in light of what Brooks wrote, listen to the slave's perception. Master, I perceived you, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid that talent in the ground. The slave allowed the fear and anxiety to narrow his vision. To cripple him to the new possibilities that might come with three and a half years of salary. A salary he could handle according to the master's knowledge of his ability. And this perception of God is buried deeply in every one of us. Especially when faced with fear, guilt, and shame. And when the pressure begins to increase. I mean, for the record, I'm preaching to myself today. But when that pressure begins to increase, we perceive God as unfair. We perceive God as transactional. We perceive God as a taker. Instead of the loving Father... The giver, as St. James says, of every good and perfect gift. However, this is why preaching and hearing the gospel is so important. Because it is the word from God that comes with the Holy Spirit that has the power to break into our hearts and has the power to enable us to experience a different reality of God and begin to see God and his gifts differently. He's a good, good father. You see, what matters to God in your life is not what you're producing or not producing. What matters to God is faith. And faith is the gift that God gives you to believe in Him and cling to Him and His promises despite the night you see around you despite all evidence to the contrary oftentimes. What matters to God is faith. And the other slaves understood this. There were no rules. Simply faith that the master was really, really that good. And it changed their lives. Faith that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, your debts with God have been settled. And you've been given an infinite amount of talents in the form of God's love, his grace, and his mercy. And never forget, he's turned you who were slaves into his sons and daughters. By God's grace, that is our perception here in this parish, and it's true. You can bank your whole life on it. And the gospel truth is, with that perception of God, which is the reality, Christ and him crucified offer you. You cannot fail, especially when you do. And this is my third point. God, I preached this at Calvary. It was like, it's like hit. but perception is everything. Maybe I'm getting my perception turned around myself. Perception is everything. And you and I have nothing to lose because salvation, eternal life, these talents, a.k.a. treasures in heaven, are all yours. And gathered in this church, gathered around this table, God is going to break in and change our false perceptions. And what he says to you today is, I am not judging you. But in Christ, I'm for you. Because Jesus, my son, has been judged in your place. And it's finished. And as a body of Christians... We will, as St. Paul tells those Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up with that message, as indeed you are doing. That is the gospel promise. And you are that free in Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. Produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorge's.org slash give. Thank you for your support.